Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, book by book and chapter by chapter. We're on Revelation 20 now. It's the home stretch, the last couple of chapters, last few chapters of the book of Revelation. Uh, we really rounded a really big corner with chapter 19, the rider on a white horse. Um, finally, there was this uh, this really just, I guess, really kind of in-your-face description of this outright victory of the Lord Jesus. We talked about the different things that that scene can be applied to. Um, and then it just continues here in chapter 20, the dragon, right, who is finally called just directly the devil and Satan is bound for a thousand years. So this is that perhaps even infamous thousand year period uh, within the little season to follow. So what does that refer to? When are these thousand years? Are they a little a literal 1,000 years? Or uh, is, is there something more that that number is supposed to stand for? So those are all the sorts of questions we're looking at today. And joining us, we have a special guest here. We've got uh, Pastor Waldemar Vinovskis. Brother, I do hope I said your name correctly. Uh, Pastor at Concordia Lutheran Church in McCungie, Pennsylvania. Also, I believe, um, if I'm not wrong here, uh, president of the SELC district. So good morning, brother. So good to have you with us. Pastor Espinosa, good morning. It's great to be with you today. And it is phenomenal. Yeah. The, the, right. Oh, very good. Very good. And um, yeah. is that right that you were not just maybe like, was it like a, two years ago or so uh, elected to uh, SELC district president? Yeah. Amen. You're exactly right. Um, I served, I have two calls. I serve as pastor of Concordia Lutheran Church in McCungie, Pennsylvania, and I also serve as the, the president or the presiding bishop of the SELC district of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I care for about uh, 50 congregations, about 60 pastors and their families, 17,000 souls. And so it's, uh, it's a lot, especially in these days of <laughs> coronavirus, but God is good. Yes, well, I, and we're just uh, all all the more blessed to have you taking some time to to read uh, with us today, this morning on Revelation chapter twenty. Uh, I, I think this is um, one of these chapters that I, I mean, yeah, I think infamous isn't probably a bad way of putting it here. I mean, you've got the thousand years, the defeat of Satan, judgment before the great white throne. I mean, I think this is the stuff that when people hear the word revelation, right? I think this is the stuff they think of, right? I absolutely. This is, the, you know, it's funny where I got the email. You know, we had picked the dates sort of in random several weeks ago, and then you just put a potluck, whatever Bible passage or section of scripture <laughs> pops up. And when when I got the email a couple of weeks ago, it says, "Oh, you're doing Revelation 20." I thought, "Wow, I hit the home run." <laughs> so yeah, this is, a, this, <laughs> yeah. Is, this is all of those crazy images that often come to mind when we think of the Book of Revelation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's just one of those things where it's it's uh oh well, I mean you know it's it's yeah I mean it's for a, a theologian's perspective this is a fantastic juicy chapter here, uh, but you know for for the perspective of I guess so many it's like okay here's all this stuff and it's kind of big flashy scary but um, you know what what do you, what do you, what does it mean you know and so even though it's like the four writers of the apocalypse we saw where it's it's prominent it's well remembered um, it's it's striking imagery. But do we understand it? This is the the big question. So uh, good to be. Oh, we're going to uh, lay all your fears you today. today. There yeah, you go. Right. There you go. No, no stone unturned. Very good. Well, brother, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Would you uh, do us the honor of saying a prayer for us and for all of our listeners today? Yeah, I will. With, with one little uh, preface, which is my understanding yeah. and my hermeneutical principle for the book of Revelation, or one of them, is that Revelation is a book of hope. It is written to comfort, not to uh, make people afraid. And and so my right. my my caveat for all your listeners is, is, if you read this book and you're, you live in fear, then you've missed the point of the book. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, what great hope and comfort there is in this. And so I want to preface my prayer with a hymn, it's uh, appropriately 666 in the Lutheran right. service book. I'm going to read three verses, huh? and then we're going to pray, okay? The, the hymn right, goes yeah. like this. O little flock, fear not the foe, 
who madly seeks your overthrow. Dread not his rage and power, and though your courage sometimes faints, his seeming triumph over God's saints lasts but a little hour. Be of good cheer, your cause belongs to him who can avenge your wrongs. Leave it to him, our Lord, though hidden yet from mortal eyes, his Gideon shall for you arise, uphold you and his word. Amen, Lord Jesus, grant our prayer. Great crap, great captain, now thine arm make bare. Fight for us once again. So shall thy saints and martyrs raise a mighty chorus to thy praise forevermore. Amen. Let us pray. Amen. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you hold all of history in your hands, that in your gracious love you created us out of nothing and placed us in the midst of a perfect garden. And yet in the midst of our uh, arrogance, pride, and sin, we have uh, wandered away from you, deceived by the evil serpent. And yet in your love you sent your son Jesus, to bear our sins on the cross, to redeem us, that we might be yours again and reign with you in your kingdom forever. We thank you that you've restored us and rescued us. We thank you that you have defeated sin and death and Satan. And we pray that you would be with us by your spirit, guide us through these scriptures, that we might see the victory that is ours in your son Jesus, that we might find great hope and comfort in that victory and eagerly await that day when we will see you face to face. We pray these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. 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 Thank you. And thank you for sharing that hymn, uh, brother. Actually, we, re- we should have done that back when we had um, the, the beasts show up. What was that back in, I think, chapter 12, uh, when, when you had the number of the beast? And uh, yeah, no, no, I, I've, uh, that, that's really clever um, that when, when LSB was published, they, they didn't shy away from having a hymn number 66, but they just kind of embraced it and said, hey, you know what? Um, the, when, when you have the number 666 uh, pop up, that's it's meant uh, because it's in the context of, as you were saying, a message of Christian comfort, you know, like the, the beasts here are described. Uh, yeah. Chapter 13, uh, not to, not to scare anybody, but to say, Hey, look, this is the beast that has been conquered already by Christ. So uh, yeah, great hymn to share. Yeah. It, you know, it's sort of like sometimes you'll go to a hotel uh, and they'll skip the 13th floor. <laughs> right. And and what right. it says is they're captive to fear. And and hats off to the editorial committee who says we fear not the foe. We in fact, we you know, we we wag it in his face, his his own defeat. We'll use his, sort of his number against him rather than seeing 666 and, and sort of shaking uh, we see 666, and we stand boldly in the confidence that Christ has died and raised, and he's defeated. Amen, amen. Well, without any further ado, let's turn to the text. Uh, let, I'm going to go ahead and read the whole chapter through, and then we can circle back around. It is a shorter chapter here, but we'll read the whole thing through, and then we'll circle back around and kind of look at particularly these first couple of verses here um, dealing with— uh, this is the second time now, actually, that we've seen an angel with a key— to the bottomless pit or the abyss. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. But first, the whole thing, just kind of letting it speak for itself. Here's Revelation chapter 20, looking at the first verse through to the end. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit, and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands." They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended... Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nation. 
the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the earth and surrounded the camp of the same But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire. The beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky found for them, the dead, great and small, stone, and then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Just a lot of stuff in this chapter. There is a lot. Uh, you just, <laughs> a lot of stuff. I mean, look, taking a step back, right? I mean, overall, of course, you, you kind of end on a note that might be a little ominous, right? Thrown in. I think that kind of taking the step back and looking at whole is uh, along very much, I think, along the lines of comfort for God's people. You've got the, the one who is instigating the beasts and the whole thing from the beginning um, is is imprisoned. You've got what even once he is defeated and thrown into the lake of fire, right? Um, that the dead are raised, and then death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. So just really from beginning to end, all the enemies of God's people are finally dealt with. Yeah, this is a great passage. And I'm just going to say, it's like your listeners online probably are experiencing what I'm experiencing, which is I hear your first three words and your fourth word is lost. So, again, there's some sort oh, no. of evil satanic uh, interference yeah. here or just uh, just low bandwidth. But so if I cut out, I'm still here. Um, but okay. so. The way I have framed this is, it is, you know, again, we're going to take a big step back and then right back into this text, which is, you know, the re- the whole book of Revelation frames the whole book of Genesis, and we don't have time to do that. But really, if you read Revelation twenty twenty one and twenty two, they are the mirror of Genesis three two and one. So where. Where 20 is, that's Genesis 3. Where 21 is, that's Genesis 2. And where 22 is, that's actually Genesis 1. So in the beginning, God made everything. It was very good. Human beings were in a right relationship with God. And and the whole thing is very good. In a garden, you know, rivers of life, uh, abundance right. of fruit, and everything is at peace with God. By By the end of 3, you have Satan, that serpent, who deceives Adam and Eve, brings them into sin and death and under the power of Satan, under the curse, outside of the garden. And everything in between (laughs) has led us to 20. And 20, then, is the undoing of Genesis 3, and 21 and 22 are the restoration of Genesis 1 and 2. And it's this beautiful mirror of Scripture. You know, sometimes people will say, oh, the middle verse of the Bible is Psalm 118, and I don't know what the verse is. But but honestly, the middle verse of the Bible is John 19.30. And, and that's the line where Jesus on the cross says, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Everything before John 19.30 leads to that verse, and everything after John 19.30 is a reality because of that verse. And so yeah. this passage or this chapter, John chapter 20, is the reality of Christ's incarnation, life, suffering, death, and resurrection brought to its completion in restoring God's original perfect creation. And so, uh, so where does it start? It starts with the angel coming from heaven and that dragon, that old snake who is the devil and Satan and is bound for a thousand years. And it's a beautiful picture 
of God's wrapping up this great project of his salvation history. Yes. Yeah. I think that's a really great way of putting it. I mean, yeah, you can totally see how in the first few chapters of Genesis, you have this, this image of a, you know, a garden that's like a temple for, for God to dwell in. Um, of course, in the incarnation and in the passion of the Lord Jesus, right? You, you've got the, the true temple of God and the presence of God, right? And the promise, right? Even to the thief on his right, um, that he would be in the garden the image of the heavenly garden um, and the heavenly temple restored for us. So yeah, I mean, you, you see, you see that scope, and yeah, it starts off with this with this angel with the key to the bottomless pit. And the first thing that that really strikes me about this is this is not the first time that we have seen an, an angel with the key to the bottomless pit. Like back back in chapter nine, uh, we had you know it was with the the fifth trumpet blast here that there, there was a, a star that falls, you know, and, and we've seen like the stars and the angels uh, play similar uh, roles that the stars seem to visually represent the angels, uh, even by Revelation's own explanation. And so you, you got this angel that comes down um, and he's given the key, he opens it up and there's, well, I mean, you know, the smoke, the locusts um, and, and all this stuff. Um, and, and we have uh, the name of the, angel right um abaddon or apollyon so th this is really interesting because it seems like you know okay here's an angel with a key to the bottomless pit but um <laughs> it's a very different result you know before you've got you know the, the 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 crazy locust monster army right um but now it's like um satan is being bound Yes, yeah, exactly right and and so again the, one of the key you know it says having the key of the abyss and having a great chain, um, the key there, you know, that that's a that's a concept that we use in our own theology, uh, and it comes up in a couple of places. That the notion of a key is is it means you have the power to lock. Uh, my favorite illustration of that is when I always tell this in Bible class at Concordia, which is when I was a little kid going to elementary school. Um, there was a guy who walked around in green dickies, you know, pants and a green shirt. And he had this big ring on his belt, and it had like 50 keys. And and every one of those keys opened a different door or lock in my elementary school building. And he was called the custodian. <laughs> and because he right. had custody of the building, right? He had power to lock and unlock. He could go into rooms where no one else could go. And he had authority over that facility. And that's the notion of the key, uh, you know, throughout Revelation and then also uh, when Jesus gives the keys to uh, his church, to, to pastors, it's the, it's the authority. You know, we've been authorized to lock and unlock. And that's the notion right. of uh, uh, the angel coming down and having the authority then to bind Satan, who is in custody now. He's, he's under lock and key, as we might say. Right. Well, right. So, and that I think is what I think kind of raises the question about like what exactly is this this binding, right? Um, because you know, back in chapter nine, we had the the angel opening up the abyss. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, thank you for uh, bringing us back to that word because we do see that in the Greek it is the word uh, abyss, which bottomless maybe isn't isn't a bad translation. You know, it is actually a word that's uh, and so you have, you know, the angel seems to be, you know, unlocking uh, this this deep part of this, which we've seen consistently in Revelation seems to represent the powers of the Gentiles, the nations, and uh, and, and and very often even, uh, particularly in the Roman Empire, then. To have the sound seems like we're getting it to Gentiles. And in fact, that's what it says in the second part, verse 3, so that he is any longer. So I, I think that that's, that's really helpful to connect those dots because it's not as if, I don't know, there, there is no more temptation 
um, like Satan, uh, you know, has been destroyed or something. Well, I mean, in, in a way of speaking, you know, but he still exists. He still operates. You still have the powers of darkness. But the point is, right, that he's no longer roaming free in the seas, right? The Gentiles are no longer under uh, the total dominion of the powers of darkness. This is a, this is a new age where the Gentiles are being brought into the church. Yeah, and and again, you think of the the notion of the powers that Satan has now in the world, or has you know, or again, was we could go off on a little you know excursus here on what power Satan has, and you know, the, immediately uh, what comes to mind is the Book of Job, right? So so Satan, you know, has some sort of power over Job, but only insofar as God allows him to to do that, and you know, the 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 kind of the 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 regular quote from Luther is you know that that Satan is sort of God's devil you know he he's roaming right. around but he's he's on a leash and and so some of the images I you know I are like this so what's what's the power of Satan and that comes actually even in the word uh, in the title that he's given to um, uh, you know diabolos which means slanderer right and he's the liar and so mm-hmm. the power of Satan is deception but Jesus is the truth. You know, the power of Satan is sin, to lead us into sin and temptation, but Jesus forgives our sins through the atonement that comes in his blood. You know, what is the power of the devil? It's, it's to bring us to death and despair, but Jesus comes and brings life and salvation and hope. You know, Easter, what a great time to be reading this book, because we're we're in, right. you know, heading into week four of of. Um, you know, Jesus, the truth, who has defeated sin, uh, de- defeated Satan by forgiving our sins, shedding his blood. And what does his resurrection mean? It means that I, I don't have to despair of, uh, because I have, I have hope in Christ. I don't have to fear death because I have resurrection and new life in Christ. And all of this is in Christ's death and resurrection. And so, you know, through Jesus' life, and I said this in the prayer early, through his life, his ministry, his suffering, suffering death, and resurrection, Satan is defeated and bound. And so so those things that used to hold power over us or sway over us have no more power in our lives as believers. And so, you know, and here it is in the time of COVID, it, it, it really has you know, shown us for who we are. You know, I, I look at people around me in the world right. who are fearful of death. I mean, scared to death of dying, you know, fearful of, of this and, and dismayed by the lies of, you know, whether it's the media or the politicians or, you know, whoever the spin doctors right. are in, in D.C. And, and people are, you know, paralyzed by the deception or paralyzed by the fear of death and the virus, and as Christians, you know, I don't say we laugh it off, but, you know, but we we don't we take it seriously, but we're not yes. defeated or despairing of it, and we embrace no, that's it. That's right. And so that's well, and we you know, we've so seen a lot in Revelation, is, right? Just about about the uh, you know the first. I mean, all these different instances, like back in chapter eleven, the two witnesses, right? Um, and just throughout, you know, these descriptions of the martyrs, those who are in heaven. So, so death is not the last word, and death um, does not defeat the church. We have to take our short break here, but everybody, hang on. We're looking at Revelation chapter twenty here on Nice Strong Word. We'll be right back. <laughs> Friday on Issues Etc., we'll visit with Dr. Christian Kincaid, author of the Issues Etc., Book of the Month for May, Living with Grief, Bound by Sorrow, Wrapped in Comfort, and we'll play Issues Etc. Soundbite of the Week. Listen and vote in advance at Facebook.com slash Issues ETC. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. 
a worried king. I dare not leave my kingdom in the hands of the man he is growing to be. And a daring knight with a plan. Sire, I must have full charge of the prince if this is to work. Sir Malcolm and the Missing Prince. Lamplighter Theater. Building character one story at a time. Lamplighter Theater. Here on this station. Saturday mornings at 11 on Worldwide KFUO. that our creation is the result of a fluke and accident is ridiculous. A hundred thousand monkeys typing on a hundred thousand typewriters, even after a million years, would never produce the works of William Shakespeare. But they might produce several episodes of Wrestling with the Basics Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. On air or on demand. A click away 24 hours a day at KFUO.org. Our listeners and supporters are talking about Worldwide KFUO. We live in Accra, Ghana, West Africa. We listen to KFUO through the internet. It's nice to listen to a church service going on here in the U.S. The music and the talk shows, it's been very uplifting, really encouraging. So thank you. Bringing the word of Christ to listeners around the world. To leave a message on the KFUO comment line, call 314-996-1542. Worldwide KFUO. Hello, this is Dr. Dale Meyer. Have you heard Concordia Seminary's program, Word and Work and Intersection? Every week, you can hear it on KFUO Thursdays at 2 p.m. Central Time. We visit with many interesting guests about how the Word of God applies to their daily vocations and ministries. Be sure to tune in, and may the intersection of Word and Work be busy on your corner. I'm KFUO's Kip Allen. I'm a committed Lutheran, but I'm just a layman with no special theological training. Like many of us, I have questions and I seek guidance. I need answers given to me in a language I can understand. That's what this program's all about. Let's talk. The pastor is in. Friday afternoon at 2 on KFUO, the messenger of good news. everybody to thy strong word i'm pastor aj espinosa we're looking at revelation chapter 20 joined today by uh, pastor waldemar vinovskis pastor at concordia lutheran church in mccungee pennsylvania also district president of the lcms selc district yeah if you spell that out over and over uh yeah that's a tongue twister lcms <laughs> yeah you know it yeah i know <laughs> Um, but we're looking here at Revelation chapter 20. Uh, a lot of good stuff going on here. We were just talking about this, um, this, this bottomless pit, this abyss. If you got a question for us and you're listening live, um, you have an opportunity to join the conversation with your thoughts, your questions, or comments. Give us a call at 1-800-730-2727, or you can call local if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. Or you can always send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Also, don't want to neglect to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Thank you, guys. Here's another acronym for you. Their website is lhfmissions.org. Check them out. Uh, they got some good stuff on their news section about the work they're doing all over the world. Uh, so, yes. Um, yeah, sorry, brother. I had to kind of cut you off a little bit. So we were right before the break. We were talking about, uh, yeah, this first um, image here, this angel who released, uh, who actually rather rather than releasing, like we saw back in chapter nine, binds um, the ancient serpent. So it's that image, like you were saying, of the, the keys of authority of both binding and releasing, like, um, you know, the, the pastor's Oh, who have uh, who exercise the authority of the keys to, to bind and release, like uh, Peter. Um, oh, a little bit more could be said, I think, about that. But I wanted to turn really quick here. We have a question on the phone here. We got James calling in with a question. Good morning, James. Good to hear from you, brother. How are you? Good morning to you, uh, brother moderator. Uh, I like to separate my questions up uh, and parse them out to you and to our good president. Sure. Um, the first question, the first questions are to you, uh, moderator. 
I'd like to know, sure. are there any distinctions? Uh, are there any distinctions between judgments from God and is the white throne judgment in this chapter devoid of grace? And for our good president, I'd like to know, how are we to understand the separation of the sheep from the goats? Is this happening here in Revelation 20? And is Satan loose by God, or does he escape after a thousand years of being bound? And I'll hang up and listen, and thank you for the program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Janice, for your questions. I appreciate uh, always some thoughtful things for us to consider. Uh, So turning to your first question there about judgment. um, Yeah, I I think that you you really see the idea of judgment operating on several levels in throughout throughout scriptures. We saw, uh, particularly, though, in the Old Testament, uh, God regularly meets out judgment in the sense of vindication, uh, which is to say it often refers to the salvation of his people. So God will judge uh, the Assyrians or the Babylonians, right? Um, God will judge these foreign powers. um, And as he does, that's the way of saving, vindicating his people. Um, So so you you have that idea going on throughout. Um, You've got here in verse 4, right? Uh, When I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Uh, There's a sense in which judge refers to just kind of the general authority to to rule, right? So not necessarily that, uh, you know, that these who are seated here, um, who, I mean, this may be a reference to 24 elders. We haven't really gotten there yet. Uh, But there's a sense we're kind of going back, say, to the Old Testament book of Judges, where, you know, judging is, in a sense, kind of presiding over or ruling, um, perhaps on someone else's behalf. So there's a couple different levels, and of course there's the one that you talked about um, at the end of your question about the great white throne judgment, like final judgment, right, Uh, which is yet another level of all of this. Um, And yet it's not not totally different um, because in the same way uh, that we looked at those other levels of judgment, here at the great white throne judgment, I think there is a lot of grace in that particularly. I mean, who, who is the lake of fire really meant for? It's meant for death and Hades. It's meant for the dragon. You know, it's meant for, what, what's it say? You know, the, the beast and the false prophet. Uh, the idea primarily of this lake of fire is that it's a way of getting rid of all these things that have been oppressing God's people to save God's people. So, I mean, primarily the, the great white throne judgment is about saving God's people um, from their enemies. Uh, and, and we can, you know, of course, talk more about um, how this works. I think we talked about it last time uh, with, with our guest. We had uh, Pastor Mathis on. We talked about how the good works, um, they do follow us into heaven, right, as we see in this chapter here. Um, so it said that in verse uh, in chapter 19 yesterday. Uh, but we talked about how it's it's really the Lord Jesus himself who actually brings us by his grace. Uh, the, the works just follow. So, yeah, that's a, com- a complex question there whenever you ask about you know, multiple levels. But they all kind of, uh, I think, work together really neatly here. And I think that kind of paves the way then for the question that James had for uh, for you, Pastor Vanowskis. Yeah, amen, James. It's great to hear your voice. Um uh, yeah, a couple things. I, I it's always have to go with the context, so you, you make sure you have the right reference point, so we're not just kind of floating free. Uh, I don't believe that Revelation 20 floats free. I think it's part and parcel of the whole Bible. It is a fulfillment of the old. It is a reflection of the Old Testament, and it's a fulfillment of what Christ has done for us on the cross. So that's going right. to inform our answer. What do I mean by that? Well, part of that, and you know. Is and I'm sure you've talked about this over the last weeks as you've covered uh, the book of Revelation, is that that the re- everything in the Old Testament points to the Revelation. So, in order to understand what's happening in these chapters, you have to know, you know, what the Reve- what the Old Testament says. You have to know the signs, the symbols, the language of the Old Testament. You have to understand what the temple right. is, what prophets, priests, and kings are. Uh, you know right. how everything in the Old Testament points to or fulfills. And so when you hear, you know, for, you know, for example, sapphire pavement, 
you know, an Old Testament, uh, you know, a, a Jewish person who knows the Old Testament would immediately think of Exodus 24 and the ratification of the covenant, because that's language is right out of right. Exodus 4. We're going to get Gog and Magog in a minute, maybe, and you're going to me- immediately think of Ezekiel <laughs> chapter 38. Without understanding Ezekiel 38, you can't understand Revelation chapter 20. So let me go to John chapter 3 to answer the question about Matthew 25. And John chapter 3 says this, uh, beginning with verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, or you could translate that, he did not send him into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him, that is, through Jesus. Whoever believes in him, that is, in Jesus, is not condemned. You could say, is not judged. But whoever does not believe is judged or condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So you take that, and then you read Matthew chapter 25, and, and he brings before him the sheep and the goats, and he separates the sheep on his right, goats on his left. Well, who are they? Well, the ones on his right are the believers in Jesus, and their works have been carried out in God, and their works are good and righteous, and, and, and all of their sins have been atoned for by Christ and covered by the blood of Christ. The Lamb of God covers their sins, covers their death, washes them away, and they are the sheep, and, and they go on into to glory. And they don't even know what they did, except that they trusted in Christ, the only Son of God, and they look to the light who has come into the world. The goats on the left are those who stand there naked, and, and their works are exposed. Why? Because they didn't trust in him. The judgment, this is the judgment. They didn't believe in the name of the only Son of God. Their works are filthy. And they're like, well, we did this and this and this. And, and, and the answer is, yeah, I never knew you. I don't know you. I don't know who you are. Right, and they go right. away sad and into death and into judgment. And so the the great white throne judgment is this moment when everybody stands and their works are revealed. And those who stand in Christ have been the, – the judgment is that they're not guilty for the sake of Christ. And those who, who don't have Christ will have to stand on the basis of the books uh, of the law. You know, the, the books were opened right. and they were judged according to their deeds against the, the law and the Word of God. And those apart from Christ, their works are found wanting. And and it's a sad right. thing. They were judged by reason of the writings in the books according to their works. And right. they had no other basis for judgment. For us as believers, our basis for judgment is, is faith in Christ, John chapter 3. And so... so right. Uh, so that's that's the way I see that. It's it's all about a piece. So again, revelation is not revealing something new. It's a, it's right. explaining to us as believers in Christ. We're going to see these things come come forth, and when you go to stand before that white throne in Jesus, you stand confident and sure in the sure and certain hope of the life that is yours. Not afraid, but glad. That's the happiest day for us to stand before that throne. You will not be trembling in your boots if you are in Christ. Right. Well, I mean, thank you. And I, I appreciate you pointing out that. So we're, we're kind of jumping ahead in the chapter here, but I mean, it was uh, to answer James's question. Uh, when we're looking at those verses 11 through 15, it's really important to notice that there are different books, right? Um, it, it says at the beginning in verse 12, okay, he sees uh, books are open, right? So there's, um, and it's, it's kind of interesting here. Uh, it, it says books, um, but when, when you actually, I, I'm not entirely sure why this is the case, but um, in, in verse 12 where it says, you know, books are open, it does say the books, right? Um, but it's like the books of the books of their um of their, of their works versus, as you then said, the book of life. So we have uh, different books going on. 
And so we've seen this book of life before. We had that back in, what was it? We had it back in chapter eight, uh, chapter 17. You had it back in, um, in chapter 13, right? And within 13, everyone whose name um, has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain, right? Um, that was back in chapter three, right? Um, where, where he's talking about um, not blotting uh, his name out of the book of life. And so uh, it's a different book. You know, I mean, like, and, and what a relief, right? Like we're, we're not, we're not judged by, as you were saying, the book, the book of the law, we're, we're judged by the book of, of life in Christ. It's the, it's the lamb's book. And so um, that, that's a tremendous grace that, you know, it's not like, you know, it's, we're going to be like, Oh no, like maybe, maybe I didn't do quite enough good deeds. Right. Really, really the question is entirely, um, you know, are you in Christ or not? I mean, it's just, it's all about Christ um, is the one that we're looking at really when we are judged. Uh, not, you know, like, you know, did, did I, you know, have, have read on my ledger or something like that? You know, it's not like the, the, the kind of stereotypical, you know, St. Peter at the pearly gates joke, right? Looking at like, if, if your list of good deeds is long enough. So uh, yeah, that, that's certainly a tremendous grace. And of course, uh, I don't want to neglect to say either though, uh, you know, in, in verses uh, 13 and 14, right? Just that that image of resurrection where it doesn't matter um, how the saints died, whether it's in the sea or death in Hades, uh, whatever the circumstances were, they give up their dead, right? And I mean, the resurrection triumphs over everything. So, I mean, tremendous comfort, brother. So, I, amen to everything you were saying. Um, we had to kind of pick up the pace here. Cause like you were saying, we got to have like a little bit of time for Gog and, you know, Magog or Magog here. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. So I, I think kind of, we, we can maybe put aside maybe the, the, the great white throne judgment since we, I think we kind of already got at that. Um, so just going back briefly to the, the first part here. Um, I like what you said that revelation 20 um, and of course the book as a whole uh, these aren't like floating around in space, right? Like they're, they're not like something entirely different and unrelated. So uh, I always ask this question, uh, what's the connection between Revelation 20 and Revelation chapter thir- uh, chapter 19? Uh, because we saw in Revelation 19 how in many ways uh, th- this could correspond with everything that was going on, um, you know, at the time of the early church, how, you know, there there was this uh, great big battle uh, where the, uh, the the Julian dynasty of those Caesars who were embodied in Nero, right, whose whose name adds up to six six six, they were dealt with by God's judgment, and how the high priesthood, which was corrupt and had been executing the saints. Uh, like St. James, right, um, or, you know, of course, who had aligned themselves against the Lord Jesus himself. Uh, all, all these enemies of God were, were dealt with at that time. So, so then what's the connection, um, you know, see, seeing some of those, those tie-ins uh, to chapter 20, uh, where you get this binding of the dragon in this thousand-year period? Like, where, where are we on the, on the timeline, and how do, how do you get from 19 to 20? Well, again, I, what do we have? Six minutes left? Ten minutes left? I, yeah. I don't know if we can unpack all of the view, millennial views, pre-millennial, post-millennial, no, no, right. and amillennial. The one that I like the most is someone used the the image for 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 the view that that we hold, or that that I think most many Lutherans hold, and um, yeah. is, is the amillennial view, which is the millennial. The millennium is this age of the church, and yeah. it is both. It is both. It, it's realized from the time of the death of, and resurrection of Christ and his ascension into heaven till now, until his final coming. That's the thousand years. It's this fullness of time. That's part one. Part two, then, it is also realized in every age of the church. And the the great illustration that somebody said, it's like a tire on a car. And so if you were to paint a white line, you know, vertical on on the bottom of your tire where it's touching the ground, and then you drive for, you know, forward one revolution, you're back at the beginning, and then you drive one forward, one revolution, and you're back at the beginning, and and it keeps coming around. You know, it's that it's the 
it's the the thing again and again, and yet it's still moving forward in time. And so we're part of that revolution. So it has a a real-life fulfillment in the early church, and it also has a fulfillment for us. Uh, So a great story that happened to me this week, I had the privilege of being at the funeral of a pastor who served for many years. And I was at the cemetery, and his predecessor, his gravestone was there. His name was Stephen Tuhi, and he served at St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Um, and he served that congregation from 1910 to 1961 for 51 years. And I got home, and I shared this with my son, Oliver. Wow. He says, Dad, he has served through every major cataclysmic event of the 20th century. Yeah. And it's true. This pastor started in 1910, and as a young pastor, he served through World War One. He right. served through the Great Depression. He served through World War Two and the Korean War, through his whole ministry. And so, again, you know, we shudder here in the midst of this. You know, we've been, you know, what, quarantined for 50 days or something, and right, we think right. it's the end of the world. This pastor saw the end of the world four times over in his ministry. And I, so to your listeners, brothers and sisters, the fact that, that you don't get to go to church for like six weeks is not the end of the world. It is not the end of the world. Uh, we've been there before, and every generation of the church before has been there before. And if you read That's this right. book, you end up happy because we win in the end. That's yes, right. That's hard. right. Yes, it's going to get worse, but it's going to get better. The wheel keeps turning and we're going to come back around and we're going to come back around and there will be evil forces and we're going to call them by different names. You know, when I was a kid, it was Russia. And then when I was in college and in the seminary, it was Saddam Hussein. And and now, you know, who is it? You know, Vladimir Putin? I don't know. You know, every generation yeah, right. has its evil sure. person, uh, you know, uh, w- whether it's, you know, Napoleon or, you know, you, you pick your wars. Right, the right. Huns, Attila the Hun or the Turks at the gates of Vienna. Every generation. And so so with regards to that, that thousand years or, or how it connects, mm-hmm. it means that this book is telling me of the history of the world and my history right now. That's right. That's right. That's a great, that's a great summary, especially for not having very much time left. I, I absolutely agree that, you know, we've seen that before. The thousand in Revelation is used pretty consistently to represent, it's a military number, right? And so it represents the church militants, right? It represents this age of the church uh, where, you know, we, we have the, the keys and we are sent out into the world and there, there is, uh, yeah, there, there's going to be ebbs and flows, like you were saying, with that tire, with that mark, right? You know, sometimes you go, you're up, and sometimes you're down, right? Uh, but through all of it, you know, the Lord is is triumphing, right? And so, and so, yeah. So after, you know, the the devastation of Judea in AD 70, uh, it's like it says in verse uh, verse four there. You know, they came to life. The church seems to. To, to come back to life, you know, like if people thought that maybe they had done away with all of, uh, you know, everyone who had all this weird, uh, you know, Israelite religion, right? But no, the, the church um, gets back up on its feet and reigns with Christ. It continues to do so. This is the age of the first resurrection, which is ours in baptism. But uh, so, so then the question with the last, you know, minute and a half here is, so what's up with this, though? At the end of this age, there, there's an end, and there's this battle with Gog and Magog here, or Magog. Um, what, so what's, what's this final battle all about? Well, so, uh, so again, I'm, since you, you asked, uh, and we have a minute and a half, I'm just yeah. going to go to Ezekiel 38, and there you, you guys get to make the application that those first hearers of this did. And it, it starts with um, verse 18 in Ezekiel 38. Very quickly it says, But on that day that Gog shall come against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, my wrath will be roused in my anger, for in my jealousy and in my blazing wrath I declare on that day there will be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, and all the creeping things that creep on the ground, and all the people who are on the face of the earth shall quake at my presence. 
and the mountains shall be thrown down. The cliffs shall fall. Every wall shall tumble to the ground. I will summon a sword against Gog, and all my mountains, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. With pestilence and bloodshed, I will enter into judgment with him, and I will reign upon him and his hordes and the many people who are with him, torrential rains and hailstones, fire and sulfur. So will I show my greatness and my holiness and make myself known in the eyes of many nations, and then they will know that I am the Lord. What the writer to what John, the revelator, is writing, what was revealed to him is that this same victory that God had in Ezekiel 38 is the exact same victory he has in our day over Satan and all our enemies. Whatever Gog or Magog is in the world today, it's that same greatness and holiness, and God will make himself known in the eyes of many nations. That's the point of this book. You're going to turn the page, and it's going to be chapter 21. We are heading for a new heaven and a new earth. And and so... You know, the first readers of, of, of this, the Israelites who know this Bible, would read this, and, and you should, a groundswell of joy and confidence comes okay. out of this victory of God over his enemies. Amen, amen. So, I mean, it really is just, you know, just the, the kind of biggest, most like grandest description of a final victory that we could possibly have. He's borrowing the language of the Old Testament to show you know, and, and then after this thousand years, because it's, it's the church militant we saw, thousand, you know, army, military, right? So it's a thousand years of triumph, but struggle. But there will be a time when all the struggle will end, when uh, there will be no enemy left standing, right? So uh, not, not anything to be, to be frightened of, but again, just the, the promise, right, of God's absolute and total dominion. Uh, again, a very, a very fine answer in summary with not very much time. Thank you so much Hope for joining comfort, us. Hope and comfort, brother. Uh, Hope and comfort. Yes, Joy right. to your listeners. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it was a pleasure to get to, to speak with you finally, and God bless uh, all the many things that you're, that you're involved with and uh, the good work of the gospel um, that God's connecting through you there um, in Mukunji. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Is Hallelujah. Risen indeed. Thanks, brother. Peace be with you. God bless you and your listeners. Thank you, brother. Everybody, that was Pastor Waldemar Vinovskis, pastor at Concordia Lutheran Church in McCungee, Pennsylvania, also the district president of the LCMS SELC district. Uh, moving on to, uh, we're looking at Revelation 21 next week, the new heaven and new earth, that renewal of the Genesis creation like we were talking about today. Until everybody, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.